Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show, The Twist. Welcome, folks, to The Twist, where you come for a twist on world news. And I'm really delighted that today on the show, I've got Hal Freeman. Hal Freeman is an American who is currently living in Russia. And he has a blog, and his blog is titled Between Two Worlds, The Art of an American Surviving in Small Town Russia. And we're going to have a great discussion with him today on the situation in Ukraine and what is the view in Russia. Because there's a lot of disinformation, not only in the media, U.S. media, but also in the Christian media. And I am an evangelical, so I will want to get to the truth on several areas. So welcome, Hal. Thank you. Good to see you. And it's good to have you. Uh, my first question is, if there's one thing that you would like to state, what is the biggest area of what you feel is U.S. disinformation that is happening? And, and after you answer that, I'll ask you some questions about yourself and how you ended in Russia. Okay, I think just the general impression of Russia, uh, a lot of stop phrases are used. You live under a dictatorship. Uh, you uh, have no freedom. That kind of just general approach to Russia as if people here have no freedoms. Uh, and I have asked people, what do you mean by dictatorship? How, how am I living under? Please explain that to me. And I think it is, you, you have a number of people, both in uh, the media and in political, high political circles, who know very little about Russia and who are making these statements. Uh, one of the clearest examples of what I'm talking about was Liz Truss, who is the, she is British, she's the British foreign minister. And she came to complain with Sergei Lavrov, who is the foreign minister here, about how Russia was so terrible with Ukraine and didn't have a right to Crimea. And he sarcastically said, you probably won't even recognize our right to Rostov and Voronezh, which are ancient Russian cities. And she said, we will never recognize them as, as Russian. And the British ambassador had to tap her and explain to her Yes, we do. Uh, those are, you know, and so I think that was just an example of the people who are in authority who are entrusted uh, with handling uh, the relationships with Russia who know very little about Russia. And I think that that ignorance is very dangerous when it is in, you know, in high political circles or, or in the media as well. So. How did you end up in Russia? Before I go further on that discussion, I would like you to just give a little bit of history about yourself, how you ended up in Russia, what part of the United States you're from. I first came to Russia 20 years ago, almost exactly. I spent July the 4th of 2002 in Russia. I was at that time a Baptist and a friend at church who I had just met, had been to Russia. He had adopted a Russian child, a special needs child. And I was teaching in a Baptist university and I had summers off and he said, why don't you join me for a trip to Russia and we'll spend a couple of weeks there. And I said, okay. 
And so I did, and I found it very exciting. It's the first time I had ever been to Eastern Europe. Um, and so I, and so, so because I was teaching, I had time off. He liked to, he liked to uh, get money to support orphanages. He has since adopted five Russian children, and he was very interested in that. And since I taught, I had breaks on summer and over the, the winter holidays. And so I brought a couple of businessmen here to see the orphanages. And that's how I started going. And then in 2005, I went through a very difficult time. My marriage was splitting up and uh, I was uh, leaving the university where I taught. And um, so I came to Russia. I was offered a job in Russia to teach at the St. Petersburg Linguistic Institute. And so I came here, I started teaching here. Two years later, I married a Russian lady. And um, so uh, then we, I'll try to hurry my story. She was, uh, she had a child by her former marriage. She was supp not supposed to have any children. Two months after we got married, she became pregnant. I wanted the child born into America. So we went back, we went to America. We lived there for eight years. And then in 2016, we made the decision to move back to Russia and settle down here. And so we did. Unfortunately, my wife got breast cancer and she passed away last year. And so now I'm a single American father. We have two children. And uh, so I'm a single American father in a small town in Russia now. You have no plans to return back to the United States, or do you have plans to return back? No, I, I really don't. I, I mean, I thought about this when my wife passed away. Uh, I thought, well, because I have two sons that live in America who are grown, and I wanted to be with them, my brother. My mother died five months after my wife died. And so it's just been a very difficult year but I, I heard from people who had gone through times of grief like this, and they said, don't make any big decisions right away. Just give it time. And my wife passed away one week before our children. My little girl was just starting the first grade. And um, so I decided to stay. I've thought about it. I prayed about it. And right now, the added, you know, we are all of us all three of us are dual citizens. My children speak Russian and English without an accent. I don't know how they do that. But uh, the attitude toward Russia now and just in general, the atmosphere in America right now, I, I just don't think it would be good for my children to move them back into that. So you prefer to stay in Russia. And yes, I what is the view in Russia of the Ukraine war? Because there's, a, again, a lot of disinformation in the media. And I also agree with you. It's shocking the views that the politicians take. It's also shocking the views of experts. I was listening to John Mearsheimer and then mm -hmm. an expert questioned him and just the, again, this view of what you stated of this dictatorship in Russia, but that's not what I'm hearing from individuals like yourself who live in Russia. And so yeah. I'd like just again, the view of the Ukraine war, which in my estimation, they're making it sound like there's never been a war in the history of the world, but the Ukraine war 
and the Russian Ukraine war. And almost like this just happened, like, like Vladimir Putin just decided he's going to be aggressive and invade Ukraine. And, and there was a whole history there. And yes, there is. Conflict. But go ahead. I'd like to hear what is the view from Russia? Well, Again, there's so much disinformation in the media and among politicians. Yes. Well, first, I'd say that as far as the history of Ukraine, you know, Kiev or Kiev, as they say in English, but Kiev, it was the, was the capital of old Rus. Ukraine only became a country about the time the Soviet Union started. So they, gained, they joined the Soviet Union and became republic. Uh, so they have a very short history. And there are a number of different ethnic groups who live there. Um, and uh, there was always been a close tie with Ukraine and Russia historically because of that. My, my wife's mother was born in Ukraine. Uh, that's not unusual. Uh, I have taught English here. When we moved here in 2016, I had a couple of Ukrainian students in my class. Um, I've had, we've had Ukrainian friends come here uh, who now live in Russia and go back and forth in the summer and things like that. So there's a, there's a close relationship. And I would say uh, the, the Russians do not rejoice in this war at all. Hey, your little girl? No, that's my dog outside. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. He is, that's okay. I've got Bobo, and Bobo <laughs> is quiet right now. So there is a, there's a cat walking by the dog fence. At first, I thought it was a dog, and then I said, "Is that his little girl screaming high pitch?" Okay. So anyway, the the thing that I would want to make clear is, as you said, this is not something that just happened. In 2014, we have the tape. It's it was taken off of YouTube, but it was put back on. Victoria Nuland made a phone call to the U.S. Ambassador, Jeffrey Pratt, in Ukraine saying, we want to get rid of Yanukovych, who was doing a trade deal with Putin for Russia and Ukraine. You can go to YouTube, put in Victoria Nuland phone call to um to uh, the U.S. ambassador, and you can hear her instruct him and said, Vice President Biden is on board with this. And well, I remember that when it first yes. came out, and it went further than that. Uh, yes. She used a four-letter uh, naughty word and you know, said, blank the Europeans yes. as well. And I, I regret she used that word, not just because it's a dirty word that she shouldn't use, but all the focus went on that phrase and ignored the rest of that conversation. That phrase and what she said about the EU was kind of the culmination of her attitude <laughs> toward everything. And uh, it's uh, it wasn't just she used that word toward the EU. She was saying, we're going to overthrow the democratically elected uh you know, Yanukovych, um, who was not, I mean, I didn't, I don't like Yanukovych either, but he was elected. I mean, he was elected mm -hmm. fair. So you had that, and that really started everything. Um, and the two, the two regions of Ukraine that you hear about, Donetsk and uh, Lugansk, uh, in the Donbass region, 
they said, we are opting out. We are not going to be affiliated. We're going to be independent republics. And Ukraine started firing on them. They started shelling them and bombing them, mostly shelling. The EU, the U.S. agreed to the Minsk Accords, which called on them to stop that, stop the shelling, stop the killing. They didn't. Vladimir, this has gone on for eight years. Vladimir Putin has repeatedly said, make them enforce the Minsk agreements that you said you were on board with. Stop killing people in the Donbass. Poroshenko, who was president after Yachts, who uh, she wanted, uh, said, no, our children will walk to school. Their children will live in basements. And so this has been going on for eight years. The shelling, the killing of Ukraine, the eastern part of Ukraine is Russian speaking. They live as Russians. They speak Russian. They and and uh, the the odd thing is Zelensky also learned Russian. That was his native language, the president. And the odd thing is, I can't understand Putin's Russian. I, I, he speaks Russian. I can't understand him. I can understand Zelensky's Russian. So it's just kind of strange. But the the um, so it's been going on a long time. Troops started assimilating. Uh, all the emphasis was on the Russians are on the border. The Russians on the border. Actually, Ukrainian soldiers. And the Nazi Azov Battalion had moved up toward the Donbass. They had collected there. And that's when Putin sent in troops. Now, the that Nazi, that's another area of disinformation, is yeah. that there is no Nazi element. And I, you, are you aware of that, that that's part of the disinformation, is that this yeah. is fictitious on the part of Vladimir Putin? That, that, that is... And I can tell you that's misinformation. Uh, Patrick Lancaster does videos. I saw the video of them, the, the people coming out of the Azov Battalion. There were tattoos, Nazi symbols. There was a tattoo with Hitler on a, on a person's chest. I mean, these people are serious Nazis. And uh, so that that idea that there's no Nazis in Ukraine is ridiculous. Co-host was having the Shabbat dinner with the former ambassador to Moldova, and the Nazi element in Ukraine was very well known. As a matter of fact, the the view among their community is that after the war, this group in Ukraine is going to blame the Jews for the war, and he didn't even want to talk about it publicly because of the fear of the repercussions that would come to the Jews in yes. possibly doing so. But I got him to actually talk about it. And we did talk about it on mm -hmm. the show. So I just wanted to share that with yes. you because that was another area of disinformation is that there is yes. no Nazi element within yes. Ukraine and that this is a, a fictitious like a mirage on the part of Vladimir Putin. And also I would add that Nazi gets thrown around in America as kind of a, almost a slang word. Well, you Nazi, you know, this kind of thing. You got to remember this city I live in, Luga, was occupied by the Nazis for three years during the World War II. I have seen pictures of the street signs in German. 
where the Nazis took over this town. One of my neighbors, an older lady that I met, she herds goats, and she was sent to Germany as a slave. Uh, and her family and other Russians here were made slaves. I can go to that building where the Nazi office was, and I can see the prison cells they kept Russians in. So that was for three years. So when a Russian hears Nazi, like I don't know anybody, May 9th is the victory day when the Nazis were finally defeated. I don't know a single Russian that didn't have someone die or was injured fighting the Nazis in World War II. My, my late wife, one grandfather was killed, the other was shot in the arm. Uh, this just, I mean, so when you say Nazis are on our border, you've got to understand how the Russians hear that. Um, you know, as I said, there's a, I would say, and going back to your question about how Russians feel, they hate what's going on. They don't want to fight Ukraine. As I said, my, my wife's mother was born there. We had friends. I mean, they, they have friends there. They have family. They hate this. But the killing has been going on for eight years. This is not just Russia and Ukraine. This is Russia, the United States. The United States is now fighting this war by sending so much money to arm the Ukrainians. And, and war is unfortunate, and none of us like war. But the United States is now, this is the United States war, as well as the West. So I'm not sure how much time we have, and I know we're going to be getting cut off at a certain point, but I wanted to ask you quickly about sanctions. And because I know that you're in with the Christian community within Russia, and mm -hmm. I heard the most distressing piece of news from a relief organization here in the United States, which I know you're familiar with, that the money for the churches and the missions in Russia has now cannot get through. That missionary money can now not get through. So what is happening, and, and you know the importance of the gospel and getting the gospel out and feeding the poor and all of this. I. I did a piece on sanctions actually violate scripture is going to bring judgment onto the United States because we impoverish people. But I want you to just talk a little bit about that because I don't know that the evangelical community, which is a large community in the United States, is really aware of these sanctions and not only how they impoverish people, which is against scripture, but also prevent the work from going forward. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. Okay, I would say in general, the sanctions have not affected most Russians at all. I mean, there's a little bit of inflation. Gas prices are the same they've been for months. And so in general, regular Russians aren't affected. It's not hurting them. It's people like me who can't transfer money. And I know who you're talking about because I'm very good friends with the pastor and his wife. They're taking me to an ear appointment this week, by the way, in Novgorod. And she called me and she told me just what you said. She said, how we can't get the money for our, they're almost finished the church building and they need that money for a lot of reasons. And she said, we can't get her money. And I said, Katya, I know it's, you know, the people who are being hurt are people who have ties with America and churches 
other charitable organizations, but I mean, I'm like you. I know this church. I know these people. I have several friends in that church. I went to walk with a member yesterday. We walked around town. Uh, I know these people and they want to, this is very important. And those are the people being hurt by the sanctions. It's not that gas prices are going up in Russia. They aren't. Grocery prices went up a little bit, not much, but it's people who are receiving missionary money or other forms of gifts. Those are the ones being hurt. And Western Europe is being hurt more in general by the sanctions, you know, just getting your gas prices in America hurt more by the sanctions than, than the average Russian. But yes, churches cannot get that money. And I'm very aware of that very situation you're talking about, because I've talked about it with the pastor and his wife, and we're very good friends. And uh, she usually goes with me to different places to help me understand and interpret. And he drives me to different places. And so uh, very close. And I just, I hate it because he's been working so hard. He has been working so hard on that church. He has been spending hours and I really regret, you, you said it well, I mean, I, I don't be quiet, but I really regret what's happening. Well, it's funny because uh, Charles Michel, who is the EU Council President, actually stated today because the United States suggests now they want to add more sanctions. Now something with Russia buying gold or something with gold. And it's the first time Charles Michel said, uh, we're going to hold on this right now because we want to make sure that these sanctions are not going to hurt us and not Russia. And it's funny that that would be a statement now coming out from an EU leader concerning sanctions because the sanctions are boomerang sanctions. They've, but, and and I believe because a major, a major, major uh, sin is happening when you go to impoverish, deliberately impoverish a nation, you're not even at war with just so you can control the president. I mean, it's, that's an abomination. I mean, that is a scriptural abomination to impoverish, to oppress the poor. So that's why I believe you're seeing this boomerang effect. I I agree. I agree. And I think that, and what people don't realize also, it's not just that Russia leads the world in grain and wheat exports. It leads the world in natural gas. It's second in production of crude and exporting of crude oil. Russia can feed itself. Russia can heat its showers and rooms and all of that. And what you're having is other people uh, get get hurt by this in other countries. And the other thing is Putin's popularity is going up. I know Russians who are not all that crazy about Putin, but they said, at least he's standing up for us. At least he's, you know, what will America do to us if if somebody doesn't stand up to us? And now his approval rating is from between 83 and 85 percent. And it's because Russians aren't turning against him. They're saying, why is America doing this to us? Well, the American media would have you believe, one, that Putin is on his deathbed. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that the Russians are going to rise up and assassinate Putin. So there's a lot of disinformation. And and I've got to tell you, this interview with you has just been invaluable. Getting your insight, not from a journalist, per se, or someone that's 
but I, I, it's just been invaluable to the insights that you are providing. Well, I appreciate it so much uh, because when you asked me to do an interview, I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> I don't know. Are they, are they going to go after me for living in Russia? So I, I just appreciate your openness to the truth. I, I, thank you very much. And, and I pray you have many listeners because <laughs> you really are trying to get the truth out and not being manipulated. That's, that is great. And I think that's so important these days. Thank you very much. Well, well, I think the saddest thing for the United States. Oh, we're out of time. Oh, no, we'll end in 10 minutes. Okay. okay I that's think the saddest thing for the United States is that we're making so many foreign policy mistakes. And this is another one, not only foreign policy, but we're racking up our deficit. I have always been a firm believer that America should have good relations with Russia, that that's what should have been worked out. Instead of this, what's going on now, we should have been working on a trade pact with Russia. You've got Europe right now that has over 80 trade pacts. And I did a commentary last week on Christine Lagarde saying they're, they're really ready to flex their muscles now. And they're so strong because of these pacts. The U.S. only has 20. All we've done is fight wars and rack up a deficit. Our dollar is on the verge of collapsing. I'm going to be here when this happens. No. So I, I, part of it is because I think this is, you know, the love of America and feeling that this is really to our detriment. And what we need is to restore relations with, with Russia instead of always having to have this enemy to make the American people feel like we're doing something when all we're doing is making a mess. I agree. I agree. And I, agree you that? know, I, people, people think I'm, you know, you're pro-Russia. Well, I, there are a lot of good things about living in Russia. There's, there's no question about that. I mean, my kids are out playing in the yard and going out in the street and I don't worry about their safety. It's like it was when I was a kid. Uh, so there are those things, but I have, you know, as I said, I have two adult sons. I have five grandchildren in America. I hate what is going on in America because I have family there. And I, I, what is what are you leaving for the next generation? You're, they've spent 53 billion and in last week, Biden sent another billion to Ukraine. $54 billion in two and a half months or three months. And money that's not even coming uh, in from tax dollars. It's they're printing, it's-, it's I know. It's, it's and helicopter money. I mean, it's Mr. Putin is supposed to be on his deathbed, but he actually made an hour-long speech that I watched uh, this week on a day when I got a, a a Facebook message from a friend saying, "Is Putin dying?" And I'm watching him on TV, <laughs> and he goes over how the uh, imports in America are going up and up and up because America's not producing anything anymore. And it's shutting down its own gas, you know, access and things like this. And what, but he goes, he goes into how much money they printed. It matches almost exactly how much they uh, increase the Im imports to pay for that extra imports because they're not producing and don't want to produce anything in America. And he, uh, he goes through the facts. He's pretty good for a guy who's dying of cancer or whatever he's supposed to have. But is a very, and I'm being facetious because it was a very good speech. 
And he asked a simple question, why are you printing all this money? Well, and the other thing too is I used to listen and that's they, they've you can't get Russia insight anymore on YouTube. They've eliminated these channels, but you you can get information through other vehicles so that you get a well-rounded picture, but he was constantly sending out the olive branch constantly and he was ignored. Yes, he had, and I think my my I have many regrets about this. But I can tell in his manner, I can tell in his speech, at least from my opinion, and not just mine, there are more knowledgeable people than I saying this. It's like he's saying, okay, I've tried it. This is not working. And he's turning, China and India says, we'll take all the natural gas you'll send us. We'll buy all the crude oil you will. It's not, there's this, as Scott Ritter, uh, the military expert says, it's like the mentality is, in the American leadership is four decades ago that yes, yes, know, I've said that it's it's in we're in the dinosaur age. Yeah, I mean, it, policy. Uh, they they think that if they don't buy Russian gas and oil, which America is still buying, by the way, and so is Europe, uh, that it's going to bankrupt Russia. China and India, who are heavily populated, are taking all that Russia will send them and it's it's a foreign policy based on ignorance and it's a and and to be honest it's it's based on just dishonesty uh in, in many ways and yes so i've talked I, about that the deals right. the many deals that are that the, our politicians there's a lot of corruption within our political hierarchy and i think that's the bottom line of why everybody's towing this line and it's tragic. And I, I will say one last thing. I told my friend yesterday, my Russian friend who goes to the church that you're talking about, I said, you know, I don't know what people say, do you like Putin? I don't know what Putin's like. I, I, I've never met him. You know, I just look at his policies. He is the he is one of the very few politicians who can be. All these awful things are said about him, and he doesn't let it bother him, as far as I can tell. He doesn't get angry. He just sets the policy, here's what we're going to do, and keeps on going. And I'm thinking I would be, if they were saying that about me, I would be screaming. And uh, he doesn't do that. And I, oh, yeah, I have to no, have to say he has stood strong. And I will probably get in a lot of trouble for saying that, but he has stood strong. I mean, when you have the sanctioning, trying to destroy your economy, twisting the events, uh, mm -hmm. vilifying. I mean, he has stood strong. You've got to say he is a strong leader. Yes, he is. Whether, I mean, whether people I, like him or not, he yeah, has remained yeah, strong. I've, uh, you know, I came here, as I said, 20 years ago. There's no comparison to how this country looked then and how it looks now. You wouldn't Can you believe. Imagine how much better it would have been had would have been that olive been. branch been received. That, I know. This is with all the all the hatred going on. I mean, it's a it's a totally different country. It is a totally different country from what I came and saw twenty years ago. Well, I and, think what Russia's done also that's been very smart is they've gravitated towards other empires in this multipolar world to make up and bridge the gap for what they don't have with the United States. <laughs> yes, they are. And, uh, you know, 
they have China is really wanting the close relationship and and that's not good for America. I mean, to be honest, I, I what everyone thinks of Henry Kissinger, I don't know, but he was always able to play China and Russia off of each other and stir some, but now China and Russia have been driven together and that that's just not good foreign policy for America. Uh, so it's but they, they, I think he's looking, I think Putin's looking further to the east now. So. Yes. And it's actually shifting. The, the world is, is in a tectonic shift right now because of yes. this. And you're having this regionalization and the globe splitting. And it's going to be interesting to see what the end of this is going to be. And Europe yes. went and they met with China and they met with India and they said, well, we actually have more trade with China than Russia does. So, I mean, they're trying to win back uh, mm -hmm. some of that. I think the United States just keeps it's just keeping on keeping on with this unipolar mentality, this Cold War mentality. and the dinosaur age mentality. And, and tragically, it's what's going to it's leading. It's part of now the U.S. decline. It's what's it's contributing to the decline that evangelicals have known was going to take place mm -hmm. and is now taking place. And it's just a matter of what's gonna be the final tipping point. Yes, I agree, I agree. And so yeah. my voice here is to say, stop this. Like, you know, this is, this is foolish foreign policy. This is foolish economic policy and trying to save the country, <laughs> so to speak. But it's an opposing. May your tribe increase. Huh? <laughs> May your tribe increase. Well, hopefully, with this interview, wow, what a wealth of information! But they're going to be shutting us off, Hal, in probably okay. about a minute or two. So, uh, thank you for being on the show. I'm going to have you again. Tune in next time for more from Don Provder and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.